Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. In vain you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, a fruit from the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. I think um, I'll admit to you that it's actually really the first two verses that are my favourite. The rest, I sort of skip. I don't have kids, so I sort of ignore it. However, I don't think I need to be an expert in the matter to point out what the psalmist is saying here. I think it's a fairly straightforward uh, reading. It's a blessing to have kids fill this church. I think it's fortuitous that uh, Big Kids Church is not on today, and we have, we've got a church full of kids. Um, it's not really the point of my sermon, so I'm going to note that it's a blessing and move on. Um, but because it's not, uh, not the point of my sermon, I might just sort of not tell you that uh, we know the stats on this, that five adults that know the name of your kid is what's likely to keep them in church. Not a great experience on camp, not a great uh, sermon, not experience some wild worship. Those things are all great, but statistically, what's most likely to keep uh, children coming along until they become adults is that five people, other than their parents, know their name. And if you've gone, yep, good, my kid is known by five different adults, well done. We also know that it's great to have peers that are going along at the same place as us. So it's worth going, do they have friends? Are they known? Anyway, it's not the point of my sermon, so I'm not going to say that to you. Um, if you're feeling convicted, pray about it, sure. Um, but what, uh, what do I want to want, hone in on is the difference between God's work, His mission, and our work, our toil. Now, now God actually gives us work, um, and it's good. He gives it to us before the fall, um, and it is for us to survive, to continue. Um, it, it, it's what many of us do to keep food on the table, clothes, house, uh, a roof over our heads. It's good. Work is, um, work is good. However, it can be cyclical. It does go around and around and around. You don't work one day and have completed work for the rest of your life. God's work in, uh, is different. It's, it's aimed at one focus. It's an eternal mission. It doesn't go around. It has a single eternal end. People are to God of such value that He gave Himself that they might know Him and be invited back into relationship with Him. And now to His people, He says, you will come and join me on my mission to to bring the world back into relationship with me, to reconcile the world. What I find so captivating then about this psalm is 
that it says the essential elements of this message that Jesus later proclaims and dies for, hundreds of years before God has, has come in a human form. So, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. In vain you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. What is this saying? We can do nothing apart from God? It's certainly a, a nice enough sounding message, but I'm not sure it's completely true. Um, can you do things that God doesn't want you to do? Uh, can you be successful in them? Sometimes very. Now, if you're really switched on, you might argue, ah, but I wouldn't exist without God. I wouldn't breathe without God. Therefore, nothing I can do is without God. I grant you that's a great argument, and I love these sort of back and forths. You, you and I can talk about it after the sermon. But let me perhaps hone in on something I think is a bit more accurate, something long-term Christians can, can agree with, and us that are still wrestling with it, um, still wondering about where we stand with God, we can really um, wrestle with that. I want to propose that the only thing that we can do of substance and eternal value is with God. I think that's true. For all of your toil... You merely gain the ability to perpetuate yourself, to continue. And when you've achieved more than is required, do you gain something extra? Kind of, yeah, and kind of, no. I'm not in the business of arranging arguments so that they agree with my point. Uh, I want to contend with things honestly. I'm not some fresh-eyed preacher that thinks, having tasted none of the incredible joys of this world that I'm just going to dismay them, or just sort of just, uh, get rid of them out of hand. I want to contend with them. We know, uh, actually, the, there's some really interesting psychological literature on this. That once you have enough money to stave off financial hardship, um, to make sure that you have enough food on the table, more money does not make you happier. It does, in the, especially in the West, have a correlation between whether you are constantly worrying about what tomorrow will be like. So it does have some indication of your happiness. But there are plenty of people that have none of these things that buck the trend and that are happy regardless of their circumstances. And even in working hard, once you're dead, where is all this hard work going? If it's money, you can't take it with you. Like a game of Monopoly, it goes back in the box. If it's knowledge, who will you tell? If it's power, what will you rule? If it's a legacy, who will remember you? For all your toil, you can only achieve the cycle of continuing. But God's mission is eternal. Power does not transfer from this life into another, like the Egyptians hoped. They certainly don't rule the world now. 
Henry Ford didn't invent the car, but he, I suppose he came close to modernizing it in a way we, that we think about it today. How many of us think about Henry Ford when we hop into our car? Maybe other than my father and my grandfather, <laughs> not many of us. Uh, even if you are able to etch your name into the side of a mountain, they too will eventually melt like snow. In fact, if you, if you earn, if you toil away in your life and you earn great amounts of money, you will eventually hand it on to your, parents, uh, to your kids. And so the verse should really say, if you toil all of your life, you will be a blessing to your children. Uh, a blessing that gives them stability, perhaps, but uh, long-lasting happiness. I would like to point out that the thing that remains is sitting next to you. And if you're watching at home, it's not the couch cushion, it's people. Jesus declares that on his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 19 to 21, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The pursuit of happiness is a fair enough goal, I grant you. But it is meaning that gives you stability against the storms of life. You may say, yep, Joel, I understand, but what use is treasure in heaven to me? I can't see it. I don't even know that it's there. Why must I be dead and buried before I get to experience it? Delayed gratification is a good thing. Um, my mum would say that to me constantly as a child, but it, I at least had the um, knowledge that delayed gratification would have some effect on this life. I believe that the treasure that we can experience is, is for us here and now, as well as in the future. God's work offers us a meaningful existence, which outlasts anything that we can achieve on our own. We must admit this does sound daunting. The work uh, does sound scary. People are sometimes hurtful. They can be a lot. Uh, when I was maybe this high, we'll say seven, uh, my father would drag me, uh, maybe not kicking and screaming, but pretty close, to go and get wood for our family wood fire. Uh, now, he would drive us there and he would cut the wood and I would gather up the logs that were, you know, this size and put them in the back of the trailer or the ute. And once they got bigger and bigger, red gum's heavy and so I would take a stick along this length and I would go find goblins in the bush and leave him to do the heavy lifting. God wants us to journey with him. He wants us to work with him not for him. He knows that his work is good work and it's meaningful work and it's the best place to pour our effort into. Now, oh, there's my other slide. Now, if, if, you, if you're clever, you might be following along. Yes, Joel, that's true, but remember that this, this life is not supposed to be all difficulty and strain. I, I agree with you. Um, Matthew 11 
28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are wearied and burdened. I will give you rest. Take upon me my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yes, you're correct. I think this is a great verse for discerning whether something is, is, is good for us. But notice that he doesn't say, I have no burden. Neither are you yoked to me. How can this burden be light? How can we taste of the treasures of God? Well, life is full of effort. My grandfather says, uh, none of us are getting out of here alive, which is perhaps not the most uh, encouraging thought, but it's funny, I suppose. Uh, you, can, you will pour your effort into something. You've got years, and something is going to captivate you. Imagine, though, you're walking down the street, and you see somebody in need. You can fill in what that need is. You have two choices when prompted to stop and help. You can ignore that prompting, and it will cost you no effort, none. Or you can stop, and it may cost you a little bit or a lot. But in only one option do you see God at work. Uh, Matthew 25, 40 says, And the king will answer, Truly I say to you, as you did for the least of these, my brothers, you did for me. We will see people, and we will see God in people. They are the image bearers of Christ, of God. And we can also see them is to see God work in incredible ways that we didn't expect. What we were not expecting sometimes just jumps out. And we see God move in an incredible way. That is the treasure in which God is offering, that we might walk with Him, that we might uh, live our lives with Him. Now, I, I couldn't lift logs bigger than this when I was a little boy. My father did the majority of the work. I couldn't work the chainsaw, nor could I drive us down the highway to the farm. Um, in fact, I'm not sure which one would be more dangerous for a seven-year-old to do, but maybe the chainsaw, but the, the driving would be a danger to everyone else. Uh, my father would do the heavy lifting. I would do my bit, my small bit. And my father would do the greater share. People will say, I, I, I can't assist them. I don't have the skills required, the experience, the knowledge. And it looks like humility. It smells like it too, but it tastes like pride. For what it is, and I'm taking for granted that you have discerned correctly that God has asked you to step into this. This is not a sermon on discernment. What it is, is you say to God, I know that you've prompted me to do this, but I know better. I know my skills, my weaknesses. I can't do this. 
Uh, Moses said a similar thing to Aaron, uh, to God, and God allowed him to take Aaron. So God does make concessions for us, which is really good. But we should not see these concessions as anything other than God dealing with us and our brokenness. For when you step out into ministry, even in the simple interactions in your day, you must recall that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. To those who wish to see God move, to taste of the treasures of the kingdom and experience God now, be under no illusion that the kingdom of God is built by God and we are participants. In vain you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. You will not achieve anything other than momentary pleasure and continuing of your life. And those things will pass away. Though God wants to give you a meaningful life, full of his purposes. Do not be anxious, for he gives to his beloved sleep, and his burden is light. Now behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, a fruit from the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose arrow is full of, whose quiver is full of them. He shall not be put to shame, and when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. I love that the psalmist uses this last illustration of the family. I think of all the things that we can do to perpetuate ourselves, a family is perhaps the greatest. A little bit of ourselves, either biologically or through our parenting, exists on in somebody else. But recognize that this too is a gift from God. It's a reminder for us children to be blessings uh, to our parents. For like a well-raised child is a blessing to their parents in old age, what you do for the least of these, you will be blessed in. And that blessing is not financial reward or ease of life. It is to walk with God like we walked with God in the years of old. To be invited back into relationship to him, with Him. And to see Him move. It is to pray and to aim for God's kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. And enjoy the fruits of God's labor for many years to come. Alright, let's pray. Dear Lord, we, we recognize that our work can sometimes feel like something that we must do. We must do this, we must do that, we must please you. And that is not what you want for us. You have done it all. Your work has, has set us free. It has invited us back into relationship with you. And now we can decide where will our effort go. Will it go into the work that has eternal consequences? Or will it simply be that which continues us? God, God, we recognize that we are never going to get this right all of the time. 
but you don't want us to get it <laughs> to get it perfect you want us to step into a relationship with you and to journey with you you will make things perfect you are reforming this world it is in your hands that we commit these things we recognize this recognizing that you have done the greater work and that grace will never be offered to us through our effort so we submit these things to you god amen thanks